Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. I am so excited to be here talking to Professor Nicola Klein, my professor um, of marketing at Gibbs. Um, this is my uh, alma mater, so I'm very excited to be here. Nicola, how are you? I'm good. I don't think I was that young. I went you are the, young. I went over the 50 mark last no, year. No, you're okay. still young. I think you are the youngest dean ever. I don't know. I, don't I, know. Think I haven't asked we, their age. No, I, I, I think so. From, from when you started, I was counting. I met you obviously in an educational setting because you were my professor in marketing, which was one of my favorite subjects. You got the mark, did you? you yes, I did. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I got the mark. But you know, we, we don't really talk much about your upbringing and your family. Where did you grow up? You know, do you have siblings? How many kids do you have? I'm a longitudinal study in Joburg, and my word has the city changed in 50 years. So, apart from a few short stints mm -hmm. out of the country, I have fundamentally been located wow. here. I went to school here, just down the road. Um, I grew up in largely a family of women. Hmm. So although my father was there and yes. present, mm -hmm. my mother was one of four daughters. My father had a sister. Uh, I had a sister. She passed away hmm. two years ago, younger yes, sister. Yes. Um, and uh, my cousins were all female, except for one guy who never had a chance to speak. <laughs> uh, I went to an all-girls school. Is he school. married now? He is. He is. Actually, he is. Getting his and I think again. he's been well trained. <laughs> I went to an all-girls school, so I was privileged yeah. to go to Parktown, what was then Parktown Convent, um, which is, is whenever we hold the Helen Sussman Memorial mm -hmm. Lecture here, it was of course her old school. Okay. So very oh. lucky that despite growing up in an apartheid era and being blissfully unaware of mm. white privilege, to have the opportunity to be educated mm. with girls of other races, but also to have the opportunity to be, for me, in a girls-only school because nobody ever told me how a girl was meant to behave. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, for me, I think has been foundational to never having views of exactly what women should be doing. Yeah. Uh, I was extraordinarily lucky. Interesting, because I went to a girls' school. Yeah, I mean, we just assumed we ruled the world, so we didn't kind of think about it. Exactly. Now that you're making me think about it. <laughs> okay, um, so you chose your first degree. I did. Yeah. Why were you choosing it and what did you think your life will look like having chosen that? And has it lived up to what you thought your life would be like? So the reason I chose my first degree was because it wasn't physiotherapy. Oh. Somebody said to me, you know, you get nice marks in maths and science. One day you'll get married. This wasn't at school. It mm -hmm. was a friend of my parents. One day you'll get married. Physiotherapy is such a great career for a girl. And I heard this and I just thought, what a dreadful thing to say. Why would I choose this? Why would I choose my career um, based on the, the premise that this is a great career for a girl? Yeah. So I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I knew that I've always liked thinking quite broadly, um, but I also knew that at some point I needed to sustain myself financially. Yeah. So I was worried about humanities. And also I, I, I wasn't really into writing at that point. Um, and so I had the lucky privilege of being exposed to the JSE business schools game oh, where okay. we all went off and did mock trading and I thought well, this looks quite interesting maybe I'll just try a BCom yeah so I signed up at Vits for that hence yeah. the longitudinal living in, yeah. in Joburg <laughs> you and didn't even think of going to another campus 
I said to my parents, I wonder if I should go somewhere else. And they said to me, we're Vitz alumni. Why would you do that? <laughs> um, you know, yeah. and, and I don't think they wanted me to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And at that point, nobody, certainly it wasn't on my radar to go and study internationally. Yeah. Um, and my parents certainly wouldn't have been able to afford it. Yeah. So I went off and did commerce. I, I, I have to dispel the notion that it was because of some great vision of mm -hmm. what I wanted my life yeah. to be. And I have to be honest that I, I struggle with this personally. Mm. This question that people will often ask is, is what is your life's purpose? Mm. I'm, know it. I'm not sure that I know my purpose. Mm. I, I, I've realized that my life has projects. We go through phases, and I think particularly as women, we're quite comfortable with this notion of, of lots of phases, because biologically we go yeah. through phases. Um, but this notion of purpose, I know what I value and what my values are, I, I know what my current project is, I know when it's time to change projects yeah. quite often, but I can't say to you that I have this lifelong purpose and mm. that certainly when I started on my BCom, I just wanted to navigate university and the project was to get my degree. You co-authored this book? I new did. New market, new mindset? I did. And I was very lucky to have two co-authors. The book was yeah. initiated by Tashmir Ismail, who's gone yeah. on to do amazing things yes. with Yes. And Gwen. And Gwen, who is just a writer extraordinaire who worked with us. I've been passionate about the notion of, of we need to see all markets. So I've been very uncomfortable uh, as a human being with this notion that we only serve ultra-wealthy or yes. mid-markets. So of course, Prahalad's book came out, yes, The Fortune at the Base of the, the Pyramid. Yeah. And it wasn't his philosophy in the sense of there's this fortune to be mined, yeah. because I think that's an unfortunate yeah, mindset. Which is but he, he, he gave it that title to make sure that people noticed mm. it. And so there was this, this emerging awareness of two things. One of the monetary implications of the significant portion of our population that are earning below threshold, whether it's less than a dollar a day, and what their needs might be. Yes. Um, and, and what they needed. For us, if you look quite carefully at that, that book in the title, yes. it's very much about co-creation. Yes. It's about doing things with. Yes. It's not Through about exploitation. Innovation. It's around how do you build ecosystems to actually support um, uh, communities who have been incredibly disconnected. And it's about social justice, because why, when I have the lowest income, should I be paying the highest prices because, because of uh, arguably people will say um, higher costs to distribute, yeah. um, smaller packaging sizes, not in South Africa because of our grant system. Yeah. So for me it was a topic I was passionate about. My area is, is around branding and marketing, as you said, it connected into it. Um, but uh, Tash and Gwen really need to take the lion's share of that book, but I was privileged to work with them on it. Yeah. What's your unique value proposition? I mean, I know, I think, I know what I, I am attracted to. Um, but I would like to know if you look at yourself the same way I look at you. So I'm glad you've made that point yeah. because a, a value proposition is what others in your life see. Mm. And whether that's a, as a marketer, it's not about what you think makes yeah. your offering great. Um, I know what matters to me. And there are two things that matter deeply to me. Uh, and they're connected. Um, the one is not taking myself too seriously. Mm. I, take, I take the work I do very seriously. Um, but I'm, I have an aversion to people who take themselves too seriously. And I yeah. think the other, somebody once asked me in a job interview, so what can you bring to this party? And I didn't know what to say. I looked at them and I said, I learn fast. 
It's a willingness to be open to change. It's yeah. a willingness to learn. It's a willingness to listen. So the two, the two are interconnected. Um, but for me, what, what I value hugely is the opportunities in this, in this life to grow. You can't do that without learning. Yeah. Um, and to hear the other. That's critical. Yeah. So does that fit with what you see? Mm. You are open. You don't take yourself. Because sometimes you meet a dean and you expect them to be a particular person and you're not that. Yeah. You just like, you don't fit the stereotype. Which is why even as a student, um, remember when I had the thesis uh, debacle, who was the first person who came to my mind? It was you. So even when I had health issues, who used to meet me before, uh, you know, work starts just to, you know, so it's, it's interesting. And sometimes it's hard, when there, it's hard when there are expectations on you to yeah. be a stereotype. Yeah. Um, as you know, uh, I followed Nick Benadel, who was the former dean, and the number of people who said to me, uh, you've got big shoes to fill. Mm. You can only do your best walk through life in your own shoes. Yes. You can't uh, you know, So you else. have to reconcile who you are. And I'm sure there are times where I go into sessions and um, in an era of big man leadership, there's an expectation that somebody in a position of authority and power um, will adopt those traits. Yes. Uh, it's not me. And especially as women, I mean, which part of ourselves do we bring forth if we're going to keep on wanting to assimilate in order to be accepted in a particular image, yeah. that this is what power is. So I must say, from my point of view, that's what I admire about you, that you have not fallen into that, that you're still approachable and um, and that we still have confidence. It's not like Gibbs is falling apart. It's no, still soaring. It's, Isn't I think that it's amazing? It's doing fantastically. I have to say, though, that there is no way that you can take yourself seriously with four children. <laughs> you, you, you get they, stripped down like, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere, so I don't know if they misquoted you, but they said you said an MBA is like a marriage. What does that mean? My daughter is in matric this year, and we were talking yeah. about a discursive essay. You have to take both points of view on yeah. a statement. So why is it like a marriage? Because if you go into marriage and you, you're not willing to give of yourself and flex and reevaluate yourself and who you are in that process, uh, you're not going to hack it. And if you think that you can come in here, assimilate a whole lot of learning, you yeah. know this, mm -hmm. and not start questioning who you are and what you bring to your party and uh, the party and what your accountability is in this, in an MBA, certainly a Gibbs MBA. Mm. It's not going to work for you. It's not about you won't pass. Yeah. It's not going to deliver the experience that you need. Why is it not like a marriage? I'm going to be a little bit flippant here. Once you have an MBA, mm -hmm. you can't escape it. <laughs> you can get divorced. Yeah. You can leave a bad marriage. You don't leave an MBA. <laughs> and we don't really want to. I think we find so much value in it. It's one of those offerings. People will yeah. say, what did your MBA do? And I think, I think the world... It, it's sad that we've gone into only evaluating the quality of schools so often around ratings, which are so predicated mm. around how your earnings increased. I think it's a, it's a very dangerous view. In a, in a world that is fighting, we, we need to be building a better place. If the only value that we look at from an MBA is how much did my earnings increase for entrepreneurs yeah. like yourself who are building great value, yeah. uh, it's not a system that's, that's designed for it. But the other thing about the MBA is that when do you get the value out of it? Yeah. And again, it happens way after you actually walk across the stage with that degree certificate. And you never really know until, I don't know, it's just an ev evolving thing. Because I'm like, would I be this kind of person without it? 
would I be thinking this way? I don't know. Because you're doing the work. Because yeah. it, it gave you a doorway into, into pivoting something. But ultimately, the changes that you make, the, the, the MBA is um, it's perhaps the accelerator. But it doesn't do it for anyone. And, you know, if you look also, you've remained incredibly active in the school's alumnus network. So you continue to hopefully um, get meaning out of those networks. It doesn't stop when you finish, but you have to make it so. Yeah, make it so. You were just mentioning that. I mean, last year I hosted the seminar, uh, which you gave your blessings to. Um, and I had titled it Tackling Racial Stereotypes that are choking South Africa's economic growth. And um, the question that had been frustrating me was, why are business schools in this country failing? Or are they part of the problem? Because my issue was, I'm not feeling their courage. I'm not feeling their creativity, their innovation, and I'm not seeing them as ambitious enough in large numbers to bring out people who have MBAs who can actually transform workplaces in this country. Mm -hmm. um, what is your view about that? Are they part of the problem? So you're taking a very binary view. Yes. You're part of the problem, you're part yeah. of the solution. Mm -hmm. I think that what has happened, and certainly in the, we've said business schools, um, in the meetings that, that I chaired, and a recent meeting actually with the deans of the business schools, um, uh, of the South African Business Schools Association, this question about what is our role at business schools and what role do we play came up. There was a very, uh, honest conversation across the deans um, about what is the purpose of a business school yeah. uh, in moving us forward as a country and in tackling not only racial stereotypes but across stereotypes. Uh, what I've realized is that I think there's been significant progress in just asking these questions across the business schools where previously what you'd have is certain faculty I think who who were ambitious but mm. I remember a conversation probably 10 years ago with a faculty member who's in one of the hard subjects, you know, sort of finance, accounting, mm. all of the, the, the not the soft stuff, who said, you know, I don't really know how to deal with these issues of racial bias, but I teach his particular field. Um, and that's the danger, is that if, if in business schools we think that this is a subject, yeah. we think that this is somewhere where we have this conversation in the learning environment, we've got it wrong. I think really changing things starts from a school embracing in its own identity and in its own culture a deep desire to tackle these stereotypes. It, it comes from faculty being able to have the vulnerability to confront the biases that they may hold. The difficulty with that is that it does take time. You're, you're trying to shift an entire um, ethos in an institution of learning. Now that doesn't mean that's any excuse for being slow. We've got to move faster. But I certainly, if I look back, I'm seeing shift. I think the other thing, though, that we have to do is, as learners, we have to also take uh, accountability for this. You know? And if I think about your group in the MBA, we'll have certain cohorts who come in who are so aware of this need. We, we, we try and provoke the questions, but they grab it and want to work with it. At the end of the day, the school can put things into the curriculum, the faculty can provoke, but until you can get this ethos of, of a bravery and a courage to self-introspect, yes. uh, to acknowledge your own biases, um, 
across the board about what, what are those things that stop you being inclusive. Yes. And it's a dangerous word because it's become associated with a generalized mantra. Um, we're not going to see the change. So this is something we have to tackle as communities. I think what is incredible about business schools is we do offer a space to sometimes be braver about these issues than people can be back in their own workplaces. I think we offer a space to explore. Yeah. But we need to be able to create that container for brave discussions with a modicum of safety mm. in them to move us forward. So it's work in progress. It can't take us, it can't take us too long. You, you know? don't have the luxury of time anymore. But I must say, the one thing I admire about at least our class, um, we created a diversity forum, which was not part mm. of, and we use lunch times to engage around these issues. Yeah. And we used to throw in different themes. And it was enlightening because some of our colleagues who had never been brought up in diverse environments started learning about their country and their own biases and their racism and, you know, um, and it was not a judgmental space, but somebody said, oh, okay, I didn't know this. This is why I can't understand employment equity, because I didn't know this happened. So, but you need an institution to give you that space. This is why Go Back Gifts does that for us. No, you did it for yourselves. So you were willing to, to share and to reach out and help others in a learning journey. And you know, there are two, two narratives here. I've had engagements and again, I'm being binary now, but I've had engagements with, with, with students, with people in workplaces who are of color, who say, I'm tired of doing this. It's not my job to actually get white people, in this case, we're talking race, women, younger yeah. employees. It's really not my job to get them to see this. I'm sick of this. It is tiring. And recognizing that, that fatigue and acknowledging the willingness to after you've introspected, start sharing those learnings and having the energy to put into that forum, that credit goes to those individuals who are, we are willing um, to invest that time in other people's yeah. learning. I've gone right back into it, so I'm doing more work in diversity and inclusion, which I thought, but there's a need, and this is my country, I love my yeah. country, and I'm just not gonna sit back if you know we still need to do something about it. I think it's a point about our, our country, but it's a point about our world. Yes. If you, if you look at the rise of the big man, if you look at nationalism, etc., moving beyond, I never want to move away from racism, but moving beyond racism, we, we really ha are going to have our task cut out for us um, if we start looking at these waves of actually uh, uh, avoiding integration. Yeah. You know, the, the symbolism of, of Trump's wall, the, the symbolism of some of the motivation behind Brexit, etc., these are all counter forces to a deep sense of what Shine calls humble inquiry into ourselves and into the other and an attempt to understand. Mm. So we've got a harder battle, not just, I think we've got muscle in this country to actually interrogate these biases better than in other places. Yeah. But the global battle's out there exactly. and it's being waged. Mm. What's the most courageous decision you've ever taken? So two, and, and, and one, is, one is probably a function also of my culture and my race. Mm -hmm. My husband's brother-in-law and his wife died and we adopted their children as our own. So when I say we have four, I have two biological children and two adopted children. And we really are an integrated family because this was over a decade ago. Um, but you don't take a decision like that lightly. Uh, you don't, it, it's, and, and when I say it's a function of my culture and my, 
and my, my, my race. When I speak to black colleagues, they go, well, that's just what we do. You, you wouldn't think twice about it. But in, in the sort of nuclear family environment in which I grew up, uh, it was not a hard decision. Yeah. It was just what needed to be done, but it was the right decision. And, and I knew that I was taking on a, a different path to my life. And, and that has been so incredibly rewarding. I never, I never expected payback, but I've got it in troves. I think the other courageous decision was being Dean. Mm, yeah. I'd worked at Investec years ago and ran a relatively, led a relatively small team. Um, I had, uh, my fundamental identity was as a scholar um, and, and taken on some work in the academic programs, but to go from having nobody report to you to being Dean of a school in a period of about just under three years, two and a half years, was a big move. And, uh, you know, I'm very conscious that you must never fall into the, the pitfalls of any sort of glamour associated with the position. I mean, it's enormously flattering to have been invited to apply. Um, but part of my thing was, well, what would serve the school best? And I th the deal I made with myself was that if somebody came along who I thought would really be, be the perfect person, that I would just would do a much better job of leading um, than I could begin to dare to do, uh, I would fully support them. I'd withdraw from the process. But I kind of looked around and they didn't appear. And then one day I looked at myself in the mirror and said, okay, you better just give this, you better just give this your best shot. And I, I think for some people, there's a huge adrenaline when they get these kind of promotions. There's a, I've made it, I've got there. For me, it was just this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Um, again, it was, I've spoken about family and how my family matters to me. It was knowing that no matter how hard you try and juggle, there are still going to be um, everybody going, you were at a breakfast this morning. Why weren't you at the breakfast? We didn't see you at the dinner. Gibbs is a, is a, is a 365 a day. We yeah. close for about a week a year. Um, and so when you, when you take on this role, it's not just about, about um, the, the scope and the strategy and everything. It's, it's about really dedicating a, a hell of a lot of your life to making the school even better. Mm. Um, and, and, and that you, 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 you breathe and you jump. But, yeah. but that was a big deal for me. And we're happy you jumped. Um, <laughs> I'm happy I jumped. <laughs> what two books did you read last year that made an impression? One mm -hmm. of the things I've struggled with is um, I used to dive into novels and for some reason I find it more difficult. I don't know whether it's, it's life here. Um, as somebody who loves to learn, I don't think you just learn through books, but I adore books. Mm. Um, you know, I, before I came into this position, I would easily get through a book a week. You know, now it's down to probably about 30 in the last year. Uh, and, and what do I read? I, I, I try the novels, but I'm not good at them. I'm always interested in how we can manage our energies, ourselves, our lives, and discover ourselves. Because I don't think you can aspire to make contributions to other people until you've actually understood what you bring to the party mm -hmm. and how to best bring that. On the other hand, I'm absolutely fascinated with work that is out there. I mean, we're living in this world where there is so much change. How do you understand what's going on? And how do you also then locate yourself in that? But there's a third passion for me, which is trying to understand more and learn more um, about this incredible South African environment mm. that, that, that we're in. So on the first two categories, they're not, they weren't published last year. They yep. were published the year before. The book that I think is phenomenal in terms of practical uh, ways to start thinking about your life and making it better 
is a book called How to Have a Good Day by Caroline Webb. Uh -huh. She was a consultant in the US. She has, it is such a well-researched book. We use it here at Gibbs in some of our coaching programs. I actually passed it on to the team. It's a book that kind of gave me insight into how well am I, how well am I managing my own life? There's this whole school. How well am I managing my own life? Um, the book about out there, there are so many. Uh, this was published in 2016, but I think it's a great book. It's Thomas yeah. Friedman's book of uh, I'm Sorry I Was Late. Yes. Uh, and I think he does a great job in that book. Oh, he says, thank you for being late. Thank you for being late. Thank You're you quite right. Late, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being late. Because um, yeah. he's phoning somebody it's and he says, I'm sorry I was late. Yeah. And, and, and the person says to him, I'm sorry I was late. And he says, you gave me time to think. Mm. But it's a fantastic traverse across technology, how our world is changing. And of course, it, it, he's got a slightly updated version. Mm. But those are out there books. Yeah. But my favorite discovery from last year, and yeah. I'm going to bring it up, yeah. is Melusi's Everyday Zulu. Yeah. I don't it's know. Melusi Shabalala, apparently had a fantastic or has a fantastic uh, social media presence, you know, and people will turn around and say, if you're trying to understand, learn a language. And I, I have to be honest, I, the, the idea, I don't speak one of our indigenous languages and I, I want to. Shame on you. It is shame on me. Yes. But you know, again, you don't wake up overnight and suddenly learn a language. So when you learn a language, when you learn a language, you, it's steps. And Malusi, in a very busy life, has given me an insight into Zulu uh, and, and located it in contemporary society. And it's the kind of book that you can find little pieces that I don't have to go to language classes. Yeah. Um, and so I can learn things like the fact that Duduza, the root word of names like Duduzani, Duduzile, Dudu, yes. comes yes. from this word around comfort. And he speaks about the bitter Have irony of... I never of, introduced myself as my name means comforter? I think you might have, but yes. he says this wonderful word that dudu means to comfort. Duduzu, yes. Duduza means to comfort. And is the word on which the names Duduzani, Duduzili, uh, Mduzduzi, Helen Duduzile, and Babaka Duduzani are based, oh the irony. <laughs> In Excuse your case, Dudu... It is not an irony, yes. but that's why I love this book. So, Melusi, yes. thank you. And, and I love that. There is a Mzulu in all of us. Exactly. At least, at least I have so part so that for me works. Well, he's helping me unlock my shame in not speaking Isu Zulu. <laughs> no, we have 11 official languages, so, yeah. All of us have some shame because we don't speak all of them, and we can't. But we could try. We keep trying. We could and it's try. about, isn't it about the, it's not about the proficiency of the language. It's about the, the deep desire to connect and understand where someone comes, comes from, from mm. and what matters to them yeah. and what makes their life special. Yeah. Gibbs is ranked amongst the world's 50 best business school mm. by the UK Financial Times in its executive education ranking for the past 15 years. What pressure do you feel to retain this ranking? Last year, the rankings came out, and these were the MBA rankings because we've been ranked in the top 100 yeah. of MBAs for many years. And it, this, it's a terrible, it's a terrifying experience because this mail arrives in your inbox sent to you, the dean. And I opened it up, and uh, I went to where we were the previous year, and I couldn't see Gibbs. And I started scrolling down, which is a terrible thing to do. 
I started scrolling down and I got to the hundreds and we weren't there. And I thought, we've dropped off. How can I have disappointed? And then I thought, maybe you should just go up. <laughs> and I went up 10 places and I couldn't find us. And I started going up and I thought, okay, we have really dropped off and I still get goosebumps. And we climbed 20 places. Now, some of this is luck. Some of this is about measures that uh, I don't think are fair. I mentioned salary just now. And so to judge a school only by its position on the rankings is dangerous. But judging by my gut visceral response that day in my office, I do feel pressure. However, we will not and we will never be driven solely by rankings because to do that would mean to lose our soul. It would mean to lose the things that we think about that are dear to us. And when, when evaluators come over to the school and they want to judge us on these conditions around ranking, there's nothing in rankings about how are you contributing to inequality. We went up because of the role that we've played um, in, in society. But if you make it all about rankings, your school is dead. You know, in closing, what wisdom would you like um, our listeners and read and, and viewers? Because we're also going to be on podcasts, so I need to cover all, all bases. What wisdom can we gain at your feet as we experience this don't year? Don't ever, don't ever be scared to ask questions. I, one of the, th the, the, the scariest notions is when people feel that they ought to know. Yeah. Um, and when people are, are lack the confidence in themselves to not ask a question, um, the greatest problems in life are solved by asking the question. You spoke about your forum just now. That, that forum and initiating that diversity forum that year came from somebody, maybe you, maybe in a conversation, asking a question. And I think too often in this life, um, we, we, we seem to think that learning bel belongs to the young. And that's ludicrous. We have far more to unlearn than anybody in their 20s has to unlearn. And great learning starts with asking great questions. So ask the questions. And if you're asking, the hardest questions to ask are of yourself. If you deny yourself the opportunity to grow because you haven't looked yourself in the mirror and asked the questions of yourself, yeah. you're going to lose. Which is why I say I am my own best leader. How dare I ask to lead somebody else when I can't lead myself? Yeah. Absolutely. That was such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having playing. me. You see, this is why I always come back to Gibbs. This is my home. I always feel um, very much watered like a plant. And this is also part of my soil. And I feel like I'm being rooted up again to experience this amazing year. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.